Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. I had a birthday last week. As of the moment that this is being recorded, I am 40 years and eight days. Nothing new hurts, by the way, but I ain't gonna lie, I have been feeling kind of run down this week. Like, is this how it goes? Like, is this how it happens? Is this all it takes? You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 I remember 30 felt different than 29 and 364 days. It wasn't the same. How did that one dude say it? Nothing was the same. Nothing was the same after that point. 40, I was like, nah, I don't really see it like that, man. I've been feeling run down all week. I don't know what that's all about. Like, if it's some kind of con or some kind of trick um, or whatever it is, I got nothing for you on that. But uh, the birthday was cool. Uh, went out to Rhode Island, hung out at the beach. Got to be honest with you. Had never really thought of Rhode Island in those terms. I had, like, never thought at all, even for a moment, what was or was not in Rhode Island. Just never came up. Never did. So went out there, hung out on the beach, and I got to be honest with you. You know, I try to be sincere with you guys about, like, my life. And, I mean, we've been doing this podcast here now, what, for, like, nine years, you know? So a lot of y'all have been with me as, you know, different things have changed or whatever. Like, uh, the homie Rod used to always make the point, like, you know, come a long way from the massage chairs at the Brookstone. Like, I used to go to the mall in Durham. And like back when it was TwitPick, you know, before there was an Instagram or anything, you had to do TwitPick. Y'all remember TwitPick? Anyway, I used to like go TwitPick myself in the massage chairs. Like if my back was a little sore or whatever, I'd just go to the mall and get in the massage chair and just lay in that thing for extended periods of time. Nobody really knew who I was. You know what I'm saying? And so I just go in there and lay up. Like we don't come a long way from that. And I bring that up because I'm there in Rhode Island and, you know, between the pandemic and everything else you did, I had to do the beach, you know, like y'all be doing. I mean, like not all of y'all necessarily, but like y'all be doing like ain't no ain't no fancy chairs out there. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nobody like bringing you refreshments. There's no fruit, the fruit plate to order under those circumstances. Nope. Just throwing a towel down on the ground. That's it. I'll tell you something else. It's a little different about Rhode Island beaches versus the beaches that, you know, through the course of time I have uh, grown accustomed to, as many of you know. Um, I lived in Miami for four years, you know, started getting my international travel on. You know, I'd done the beaches in, I'd done the beach in Costa Rica. Um, I've done the beach in St. Lucia, got a little Jamaica in, I've done some, uh, some Barbados. Um, I've done Portugal. I have done the South of France and in the United States, you know, I've done the beach at, you know, luxurious Galveston, Texas. Um, I've done that. I've, I've done, uh, Myrtle beach. I've done the beach in Los Angeles. You know, I've been, I've been on some beaches. In a few different places. Sao Padre Island, you know. Let me tell you something about the beach in Rhode Island. If you was looking for scenery, 
I don't really care what gender you're looking for. If you're looking for scenery, you need to look at that water. You need to look at that sand. You don't need to look at your fellow man. Nah. Then Rhode Island beaches is like a that's a that's a bring your own situation right there. It's a little different. Said not 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 really. I'm not really accustomed to this uh everyman beach sort of situation. It's new to me, dog. It's new to me. But anyway, it was a very enjoyable trip. It's a very enjoyable um birthday. I told a story um on Twitter the other day and I think I want to tell the story here. If you guys will give me a second, I'm going to retrieve something so I can show you this because those of you who have been with me for a while, I think will appreciate this. All right, I got it. Sorry about that. Didn't mean to take so long. Okay, so anyway. Um, on Sunday, my mama had uh, sent me a 40th birthday present. And she sent it to my brother's house, which I found to be a little bit strange. Um, I later figured out that she sent it to my brother's house because she wanted my brother to uh, take pictures of me opening the gift. And, like, one thing you got to know about us Jones is that, like, we're not really, like, super gift givers. Like, that's just not the way that we typically express love in our family, you know? Like, I don't expect much on my birthday and stuff like that. Um, so, anyway... My mother had sent me a couple of sweaters. She asked me what I wanted for my birthday. I told her to give me a couple of sweaters. Because, look, man, like, when you're at the point in life that I'm in, like, asking people for birthday gifts feels kind of weird because there's nothing I can't go get for myself, you know? So, like, I try to make it as easy as possible on people, which, of course, makes it as difficult as possible on people, but whatever. So she sent me a couple of sweaters, and that was that. And then my brother was like, but, you know, Mama sent you something over to my house. And I was like, oh, okay, that's odd. So anyway... I go over to my mama's house, I mean, to my brother's house to open this gift, right? And so I get there, and it's in like an Amazon Prime package. But it's not an Amazon Prime gift. It's my mama recycling packaging, right? And so I open up the Amazon Prime envelope, and this is what it is, right? See that? It says 10 thank you cards. And I'm thinking to myself, like, if that ain't the most mama shit in the world, like, you sent me thank you cards to send people? Like, are you serious? Like, I was like, what are you doing, right? And so I just put it down, and my brother was like, uh, I think there's something else in the box. I was like, oh, hadn't thought of that, right? Because it was, like, packed, and it looked like thank you cards in it. Like, it looked like it was an envelope on top, but it turned out that it was tissue paper. And so I'm unwrapping the tissue paper and I'm unwrapping it and I'm unwrapping it and I'm unwrapping it. And I don't know why, but halfway through, I realized what it was and I just could not stop laughing. And it was wild because it dawned on me as I was doing this that my brother didn't even know the story and he dropped the ball on taking the pictures because mama wanted him to take the pictures and he didn't and she was a little bit disappointed, but that's life. So 
I'm unwrapping it and I just start like cackling. Like I just start dying laughing and my brother can't figure out what's so funny. But halfway through, I figured out what it was and then I unwrapped a little more and then I unwrapped a little more and then boom. Right here. 1989, Ken Griffey Jr., Upper Deck. Right here. Now, for those of you that don't understand the significance of this card, generally speaking, and specific to my life, I will explain this to you. All right. Generally speaking, so when Upper Deck as a trading car company started, um, it was like a bit of a paradigm shift in, and I, I loved, I was a big baseball card kid, right? But it was a bit of a paradigm shift. Like the photographs were better, the quality of the cards were better, the design was better, everything else. Like Upper Deck was a step up, and this was literally the first card, card number one in set number one um, for Upper Deck. Like, this is it right here. And so when I was little, this was like a holy grail of baseball cards. It was worth, like, it all, at various points got worth, you know, well over $100, like all this stuff. And, you know, for a kid, that was a big deal. And so when I was little, we went to the uh, Astro Arena. I think I was 10 years old. I was nine, somewhere in there. Anyway, but we went to the Astro Arena for a baseball card show, like the big baseball card show. Um, and we're there. And my mom had given me like 10 bucks or something like that. You know, you got to understand, man. My parents, I ain't, ain't no way around it, man. My mama cheap. You understand what I'm saying? Like $10, like I had to make that thing stretch. So I'm going. And you know, at the baseball card show, when you literally, you're trying to play it in a couple different ways, right? Like if there's some individual cards you want, you're going to try to get some of those, but you also going to try to roll the dice on some packs that you might not be able to get because you never know. Like, there's, there's a different kind of fun in opening the pack. Like, you, you prefer to get it in the pack than you do want to. Like, it's almost like buying a card individual is giving up to a certain degree, right? So, anyway, I, I was down. I think I was down to, like, two bucks, all right? I didn't have no money left. But somebody was selling this card right here. The Ken Griffey Jr. 1989 Upper Deck, right? Somebody was selling this card, I want to say, for $12. And I went and asked my mom if I could get $10 more so that I could get this card. And she told me no. She told me that was just too much money for a child my age to spend on a baseball card. All right, like I could live with that. Next thing I know, she over there buying the card for herself. Talk about, I like his smile or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 you know, she went and bought the card herself. Dead in my face. Like, I will, I'll admit it. I felt better about the idea about me not having the card when I thought there wasn't nobody going to have the card. I didn't realize it would be riding home with me but wouldn't be coming to my room. She ain't even collect baseball cards. Who I was heated. And so my daddy was always adamant 
that she was just going to give it to me one day, right? And you got to understand, man, my mama loved me to death, right? You know, like I'm her youngest child, all of that stuff. I still feel like, considering how good my grades were, like we shouldn't have really been arguing about this baseball card, right? But yeah, she just decided that she wanted to have it, and she kept it, and it was in this case, and it would just be sitting on her dresser, so whenever I had to like go in her room and get something or whatever it is, it was just looking at me right there. Like this happened in 1990. All right. This happened in 1990. For 30 years, that baseball card just been sitting there. I cannot begin to tell you how happy I was that at long last, after hosting a couple television shows, after getting three degrees, writing for some fairly major publications. After all those things, at long last, I turned 40 years old, and apparently I had finally earned this card. I graduated with honors in some of them stops, too. I carried the flag at my master's graduation, the first one, for the department. I had done some things, all right? Nope, that card never made it. It never dawned on me that it would ever come around. And then one day, it did. Somebody said the restraint shown by not buying your own card. Hell no, never was going to do that. Never was going to do that. But anyway, she gave me the card, and this is tell you how much everybody loved mamas, right? Because I told the story on Twitter, and everybody hit me back and was just like, wow, your mom is awesome. What a great story about your mom. How awesome is that? And I just don't understand how you could hear the story that I told you and think that there is any hero in that story other than me. What exactly did she do that was so awesome? Anybody? I don't understand what all this. I mean, she's an awesome lady. I don't feel like that was an indicator of her awesome. Like, you think she had just been sitting around for 30 years thinking of the right moment? I don't think she was. I don't even know the last time she thought about that baseball card. No idea. People talking about character building. How'd that build my character? I was already, I had already reached a point of character building where I could live with the fact that I was not going to get this baseball card because mama thought it cost too much money. I, I was already there. My character was built up to that point. I was good. I didn't really need these gold stars. But I will tell you, that moment I opened that thing up, man, that was a good day. That was a good day. She came through. Love her to death. All right, now, let us move on to your question. When you began getting more public recognition, someone from your past randomly tried to pitch you Shark Tank style on some great, not really business idea they wanted you to give money or name recognition to. I have not really had that situation. Like I can't think of anybody that's like asked me to fund their operation. I did, however, have a dude I went to high school with give me a call. 
And we hadn't talked in like 20 some years, right? And he told me that he felt bad about the way things ended for him playing football. And now he was ready to get back on the field. He didn't like the way it ended playing football in high school in 1994. Well into the 21st century, he wanted me to help him get back on the field because he really thought that he could help a team out. Yeah. I see the uh, chat room traffic slowed down as you guys really tried to internalize or process what it is that I just told you. Yeah, man, that happened. I don't know. I had to stop answering his phone calls after that, man. I just didn't feel like there was nowhere positive it was going to go. I didn't really have the heart to tell him. Like, I think I told him something to the effect of I didn't really have that kind of clout. But, you know. Appreciate the question. Let's move on to the next. What did you mean when you said that you had a theory on why Janae Aiko wanted to be compared to Day? I didn't say that I had a theory on why she wanted to be compared to Sade. I mean, if you were a singer of a certain type, why would you not want to be compared to Sade? And I do have to say, as time has gone on, I don't think the comparison between the two of them um, is quite as absurd as it sounded at first, which is not to say that Janae Aiko is as good as Sade, but I do think they're trying to get to the same places in very, very similar ways. Like I was going through a couple of days ago and listening to some of them Sade albums because I hadn't listened to them in a long time. By the way, did you know that every album that Sade released in the 20th century went at least, like, I think at least triple platinum and most of them went four times platinum? Yeah, like, they was moving units, dog. But anyway, um, I don't think I've listened to a Janae Aiko album since the first one. And the thing I had to say about the first one was, number one, it sounded really good. And number two, like, it's a vibe. Is that what, you know, is that what y'all be talking about? Like, it's a vibe. Like, I do think that what they're going for with Janae Aiko is very similar as to what Sade is going for, which is these really lush, evocative soundscapes that don't really sound like anybody else. Like, the one thing about Sade that's interesting also is nobody sounded like them. Like, I don't feel like you listen to a Sade album and they're like, oh, they're in line with what everybody else was doing, right? Like, it was a very particular British interpretation of R&B and soul. Um, but the other British acts didn't sound like, you know, didn't sound like them, like the, like the Lisa Stanfield type stuff or whatever. It didn't sound like a Sade record. Like nothing sounded like a Sade record, but again, it's these really lush soundscapes with using the voice as kind of instrument to weave it in and to, and to add to the larger aesthetic more than anything else. Like Sade is not jumping on a track and dominating it. 
That's not really what it is. Like it's another instrument. Her voice is another instrument in the register and everything that they're putting together. And that's what they're going with Janae Aiko. Now the thing about Sade is Sade has a much more distinct voice than Janae Aiko does. Like I feel like we can get anybody to do what Janae Aiko does. There's really only one Sade. Now, somebody got on the internet the other day and said something about how y'all be gassing Sade just because she light-skinned and everything else and everybody lost their damn minds. I don't know why people have such a, such a hard time acknowledging the possibility that maybe, just maybe, a woman who looks like Sade in the 1980s, no less, is getting a little bit of a boost because of colorism. Right. It's not as though Sade is coasting on colorism necessarily. That would be ridiculous to say. But I mean, the, the evidence there is obvious. The problem that, that young lady had in that moment was she did not realize a rule of the Internet. And that rule of the Internet is you are required to love Sade. You are not allowed to like kind of like Sade. You're not allowed to think Sade is pretty dope. No, if you don't love Sade, they coming for you, right? Like, that's the game on the internet. One day, I got on the internet, and I said, and I stand up on this, like, Sade is extra dope, but Sade is not the, like, greatest singer in the world. She does not have the greatest voice in the world. And if you go listen to some of them live Sade albums, you'll hear it. Like, we're not talking about Tina Marie here. Like, we're just not. Like, that's just not who she is, but that's not what the point is. Like, the music is still dope, and she gets in the right place and everything else, but if you just lined up, like, 10 singers in a row and asked them to sing a cappella, I don't know if Sade gonna wind up making a metal stand. My point when I said that, though, was it didn't matter, though, right? Like, making it work is the part that matters, and Sade makes it work. That's why everybody loves Sade. Yo! That wasn't good enough for them. Like me, I really like Sade's music. Nope, that wasn't good enough, right? I didn't. I was just not overwhelmingly complimentary enough of Sade. And they come for you. I had lunch with somebody two days later. Showed up with a Sade t-shirt on. And again, I ain't even say nothing bad about Sade. All right? So anyway, that young lady learned the hard way. And I was being nice. She was being a little disrespectful. They came for her. But somebody was like, okay, the woman said that Sade was basically Janae Aiko. And people were like, yo, Janae Aiko caught a stray there. Nah, she didn't catch no stray. Because when Janae Aiko came out, she was like, yeah. And people like people compare me to Sade. And I was like, who compare you to Sade? Like, I ain't listen to her one time and think to myself that this is Sade. Like, again, I can kind of see where people are coming from on that. But she was like, yeah, people out here comparing me to Sade. And my question on that was, the person that compared you to Sade, I hope you gave him your phone number. Did you? Because, like, that sounds like the only circumstance under which, quote, unquote, people are comparing you to Sade. Like, yeah, damn, no, nah, baby, that's good, man. It's like, it's like you, you sexy like Sade. Right, does that, tell me that does not sound like the most plausible scenario under where somebody was talking about Janae Aiko, you remind me of Sade. Like, even with me coming up with a way that I see some similarities between their music, 
I still think the most plausible explanation for how it is that somebody told Janae Aiko that she reminds them of Sade is, I mean, I see why, I, I see why somebody would say it, but you got to lose from that. You know? Whew. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. We got another Rachel Dolezal running around here. Y'all seen this? So this is my question about the new Rachel, who is a professor at uh, George Washington, who told the world today that she's been pretending uh, to be black when it turns out that she is a Jewish woman from suburban Kansas City. And so I read her confession, and I was a little confused at it because I don't know anything about this woman, and she tried to make it way too artistic. Like, you just needed to tell on yourself. That was really the way that you needed to play it. And I came to learn that this woman was a tenured professor in, like, history or something like that. And after she got tenure, she decided to tell the world that she had been pretending to be a black person for quite a long time. And I've seen a few people's threads um, about, you know, either I got fooled or I knew there was something up and so forth and so on. So the woman's name is Jessica Krug or Krug. I don't know which one it is. I think it's Krug, K-R-U-G. And she was claiming to be a Puerto Rican from the Bronx. And this is my question. Okay. When you heard of a Puerto Rican named Krug, her name was Jessica Krug. And she told everybody that she was a Puerto Rican. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, I should Google a picture of this woman. And I Googled a picture of this woman. And I am a little surprised that she got away with this for so long. Like with Rachel Dolezal, I could see how somebody got fooled by that. I didn't see how anybody got fooled by this. Like she don't even seem like she be wearing braids. Like, I, 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 I could not believe that somebody got conned by this. And then I saw some of the videos that she was that she that were of her and listened to her talk with these affectations and everything else. And the only thing that I can glean from this is when I put her story together with Mike Tarico's. If you try hard enough and if you stand in a lie with enough conviction apparently you can be whatever the fuck you want. Like the only way that this woman could sell people that she was like black or Puerto Rican or whatever her game was, the only way that I see it's possible that she could sell you on this is just through sheer force of will. Like, the only way that she would be capable of doing this is just by going so hard that people are like, I mean, I guess she right. 
Like, it looks obvious, but she say no, and... You know? And so, I've seen the people pop up and say they got food. I've been seeing the people say that they had to apologize for defending her only to have it turn up that, you know, she was on something fraudulent. And I haven't seen that many of these, but it does appear to me that the people that were riding for her were dudes and the people that were a bit more suspicious were women. Like, that's what I seem to see here. And it sounded like what happened was a lot of women had a lot to say about it and a lot of dudes were telling them to pipe down and saying that they was haters. And apparently this woman seems to be, you know, some level of brilliant for what it's worth. But, yeah, it do sound like it was the dudes that was on that was on the plan with her. And, you know, hashtag trust black women, believe black women, whatever you want to do. They was like, yo, man, something don't smell right. And them dudes was like, nah, she kind of fine. I mean, and I, I, mean I, don't, I don't know if they were saying that, but I do know this, that whoever the dudes were that was trying to holler at her, good luck trying to come back to the sisters uh, on the faculty. That's not going to work. Like, your, 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 your attempts to date black women in academia are going to be a ticking time bomb until people find out that you was one of them. I done seen this game many, many times. Somebody here says you got to check the pick. You do need to check out the pick. Go give it a look. I just want to say this again. A woman named Jess Krug, Jess, J-E-S-S, Jess Krug, K-R-U-G, had these people thinking she was a Puerto Rican from the Bronx. How? Like, maybe there's something I'm missing. Help. That's all I got. That's before we get into, like, her little statement and talking herself not a culture vulture, but a culture leech. And just talk about how she stole from black culture for all these years. And I guess she's had this amazing crisis of conscience and so forth and so on. And on one hand, I don't know where there is for her to go from here. But on the other hand, she is white. Like, she does get to go back to being white, but all her research is, like, ultra black. And so, I don't know what the future is for her. Like, maybe she can get a job at Rachel Rachel Dolezal's uh, braid shop. I ain't gonna lie, man. I looked at the Instagram page for Rachel Dolezal's braid shop. Hey, man. She went all in on this character. Her braid game seemed to be kind of strong. You might want to go check it out if you up there wherever she lives. Like, she making it happen. I understand if you got, like, a problem with her, you know what I'm saying, and don't like what she did, but is she still living in Spokane? Because if she is, I can't imagine there's another braid shop. You better go rock with the best. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else you got here. Did you ever run into Mason Betha while at CAU? Yeah. 
like Clark ain't big enough for Mace to be going to school there and you never run into him. Like I don't think I ever t- I didn't ever talk to him while we were in school together or anything like that. But he was really just kind of kicking it like a student. Like it was a, it was very interesting observing Mace while he was there because he really didn't want to be famous anymore. Like he wanted to be a dude on the yard. You know, and he had some homies, you know, from back at the crib who were there. But he just kind of wanted to be a dude on the yard. Like, a lot of people were actually, I recall, kind of turned off because they were, like, asking for autographs. And he's like, nah, man, I just go to school here. And he couldn't get them to understand that, like, he was trying to step away uh, from what that life was. I did have some friends that took speech class with him, which in 1999 was the most hilarious thought in the world. Um, but, no, he was just kind of a dude. I mean, in no bad way, no good way. You know, he was just kind of a dude on the yard. Um, of course, you guys know that, you know, the last two times I saw Mace, well, the second to last time I saw Mace was not in college. Uh, it was at the, uh, the Fountain Blue Hotel um, in Miami. Y'all may have heard this story. The time that uh, Charlemagne's bodyguard ran him up out the restaurant. Yeah, I was, uh, I was there for that. And then I saw him later uh, at the Clevelander. We just kind of talked. I think he told me he was living in San Diego at the time. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. With the Fresh Prince reunion show coming soon, what direction do you think they will go in regards to the character of Carlton? He was already died in the wool Republican as well as a fan of Trump. Yo, this is a great question, right? Because here's the thing about trying to, uh, let me send this out first because I want as many people as possible to hear me here. So they're doing like a dramatic version of the Fresh Prince. Like, do I have that right? That they're going to redo the Fresh Prince, but it's going to be um, a drama And, um, so the idea on the television show that Carlton is a black Republican is kind of funny. Not today. No, sir, Bob. Not today. And so uh, you're asking about he was already a dyed in the wool Republican as well as a fan of Trump in the 90s. Or will they just ignore it altogether? You can't. If you're going to do a dramatic version of the Fresh Prince, then Carlton, I don't see any way that Carlton in this day and age is either a not having a like serious reckoning with where he is or B is not positioned as being on some level like really destructive. Like, that character in the way he saw the world was treated as harmless on the sitcom. Because it's a sitcom. It could be harmless. Don't nobody see the world that way now. No, sir. No, sir. So, no, they, if they're going to do it, they can't ignore it. That's not an option. All right. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. And I'm actually going to say something interesting here, I think, without you asking a question, because I think it kind of gets to a larger point. 
And it's a point that honestly might take us all the way to the finish, but there's something I want to run by you. Jay-Z and Pharrell put out a pretty big budget video. Like what? A week and a half ago? Something like that? Isn't it like it never happened? Like for real. Did that make any dent or have any bounce whatsoever? Like I saw more people talk about the fact that the video was coming the next day. Then I saw anybody talk about the video, good or bad. And the song is called Entrepreneur. I suggest you go check it out. Um, and this is what I think you'll find interesting about the Entrepreneur video. If that video had come out maybe even three years ago, right? But definitely five. It would have been received, I believe, so much differently than it would be received now. Because what Jay-Z chose to do in the time of the pandemic was to highlight the stories of success from business people who are managing to thrive during the pandemic which certainly has an inspirational undertone to it. Except I can't, I mean, I guess I can't speak for anybody else, but I do feel like I don't think my views are in a minority right now. The people that I'm worried about right now, look, I was walking on the street this morning at eight o'clock and there was a woman pissing on the sidewalk. Like not even squatting, just pants down, bent over, pissing on the sidewalk with another with a, another homeless lady like set up right next to her. And around here, um, like you see the homelessness increase, like you, you're seeing the desperation get there, right? Like it's, it's getting tight, man. Like you can see it out here in these streets that it's getting tight. And I don't think that people want to hear right now about the success stories. Like, those are not the people that I think that folks want to elevate right now or want to see elevated right now. I can say for me, it's not. And it's not like Jay-Z has become a new person, but I do feel like he used to have a finger on the pulse of what inspired people. Even if it was, like, cynical and somewhat craving, he got it. I don't think he has it anymore. Like, it's past where he's at. It's past the things that he has done. Like, he's sitting at the crib watching Billions, seeing himself. Hey, man, streets ain't really rocking with that right now. You know, that's not where we are. And that's before you get to him talking about on the, you know, what do you say, uh, you know, instead of one Gucci, support two FUBUs. And I ask this question sincerely. Like, 100%. And I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being a jerk about it. I mean, entertaining the possibility that I... What I think is the answer may not be correct. 
Um, how much time in his career has Jay-Z told us to spend supporting black brands that weren't his? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the only black brands that he ever encouraged us, like when FUBU was going on, he was out here explaining to us how he was stunting harder than that. You know? And so there used to be a time that Jay-Z could drop a track like that and we'd just be quoting the lines. I mean, look, man, granted, dude's like, you know, damn near 50 years old. Like, I mean, some of this is reasonable. But a Jay-Z Pharrell collaboration was released via Time Magazine and then came out the next day and nobody cared. So my question for you is, who's supposed to be the person to come behind Jay-Z? Is there going to be somebody that takes that place, that mantle in the game? Because it's more clear to me than ever than his time is over. And I don't, again, I don't say that judgmentally because the dude, like, it should be somebody else's time. But whatever role he had in it, like, I felt like that was a death knell to his relevance. The fact that something like that could come out and people just kind of be like, eh, I guess. Somebody said something about could say the same about Master P. I don't really know what that's in relation to. However, have you guys heard Master P's song um, dedicated to Breonna Taylor? Yeah, he got a song called Breonna Taylor. I need you to listen to it and tell me what he's saying Breonna's last name is because he ain't saying Taylor. It don't sound like he's saying Taylor at all. Like, that's one of those, like, honestly, that song sounds like, like when a child paints you a picture, like a six-year-old paints you a picture for Father's Day or something. Like, oh, wow, that's really nice. We'll put it on the refrigerator and just find a way to take that thing down. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. Has the Griffey card gotten a chance to meet Emmy yet? Let's do that right now. Have you guys met Emmy? This is Emmy. Say hi to Emmy. It's been a while since uh, everybody's gotten to hang out with Emmy. You guys may be wondering, why do I call her Emmy? And the answer is very simple. Because I have an Emmy. I actually sometimes forget that I got an Emmy. Another thing on the list that I got before I got that damn baseball card. Yeah, the first black president. It took 12 years after that for me to get a baseball card. But anyway, Emmy, meet Kenny. Kenny, meet Emmy. I just want to reiterate again. I got an Emmy before I got that baseball card. A whole ass Emmy. Like, this ain't no replica, dog. This thing, like, it's got weight to it. I got the box and everything. All right. I feel like I got one more question in me. So 
Somebody in the chat room talking about lost our Emmy to inside the NBA. Worked real hard on college game day just to lose to the inside the NBA. Yeah, I'm hating. Sorry, buddy. I cannot relate. I cannot relate. This is my Emmy. This is my Kenny. Emmy, Kenny, Emmy, Kenny. I miss the book club. Hit us with a personal top 10 book list. How about I hit you with this? Man, fuck you. A top 10. You want 10 books for you to read. You know what? Nope, nope, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Let's focus on happier things. M.A. Kenny. M.A. Kenny. Somebody asked if I could put Kenny on Emmy's wings. I sure can. Look at us. M.A. Kenny. M.A. Kenny. M.A. Kenny. M.A. Kenny. But, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. We try to do this thing about once a week. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you cannot watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes Store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. You can also find us at the Google Play Store. And I'll talk to you guys in a little while. Take it easy. M.A. Kenny. M.A. Kenny.